Well, aren't you a regular Nancy Drew? I learned that from the Nancy Drew detective. Okay, go. You think you can follow the clues and solve the case of the missing condiment, Nancy Drew? Because I've read every Nancy Drew mystery ever written. Nancy, please tell me you're joking. Wow, you suck at this Nancy Drew stuff. You should get a new hobby. My name is Carson Drew, and this is my assistant, Nancy. Nancy. Nancy Drew. It's curtains for you, Miss Drew. Hello, regular Drews. Hi, everyone. <laughs> Happy Welcome holidays. To 74. Yep, it's the holidays. Yeah, this is going to be coming out the week of Christmas. I yep. just remembered. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So, yeah. Happy holidays to you all. Um, we're going to be covering counterfeit Christmas today. Um, this is case file number 102. <laughs> um, published December of 1994, which is a year after uh, we were born. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> mm, I hope you all have a better holidays than Nancy has in this one. I just... I have to say, I was cheated. Cheated. Yeah. They promised me best. <laughs> and then ripped her right away in chapter one. She was in it for two pages. Mm-hmm. All of two pages. A page at the beginning and a page at the end. You can't do that crap to mm-hmm. me, okay? You can't have the back of the book say, Bess has counterfeit bills. Her aunt gave her counterfeit bills. And then just, like, not have Bess in the story? They even put her on the cover, and she's not in the story. So it's misleading. The biggest bullcrap. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, okay. But like, aside from that, I think the story was a little bit boring. It was very boring. Mm-hmm. It was not festive. It was not. It didn't put you in the holiday spirit at no. all. I think. I mean, like, I appreciate. I think they tried to do a lot to make it like Christmassy and wintry. And I think that they succeeded with all the snow and the talk of the weather and everything. But there was definitely not enough um, action and intrigue to really suck me into this one. There is one moment um, that really shocked me um, that we can talk about later that I was like, oh, are things turning around? And I think they kind of did. But it was too close to the end. It was too little too late. Um, And so, yeah, overall, it was a bit of a slog to get through it you know oh well mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um i just think this book is also so funny though because it's very 1990s and it's um technology mm-hmm. <laughs> the beepers and the, uh, the the concept of a color printer is like just absolutely the fanciest most like wild technology yes <laughs> that that anybody could ever dream of when this book was written um so for that it's pretty it's pretty funny well that and the cordless phone as well which were um, prohibitively expensive according to nancy Uh uh-huh yeah that's why stewart had one right and (laughs) 
Well, I think because um, she's debating what to get Ned for Christmas. Oh, and oh, right, 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 right. Besser George is like, why not a cordless phone? You know, Nancy's like, yeah. that's too expensive. I too couldn't expensive. splash out on I that. Could never. <laughs> also, wait, I'm sorry. Nancy no. can't buy Ned an expensive present since when? I don't believe that. <laughs> Girls loaded. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's it's too funny. Um, I think overall this book more than anything just made me think like why are men yeah. like why <laughs> why why are all men trash? <laughs> they were all pretty terrible in this one. Every single one of them so bad. Mm-hmm. Stuart, Jason, even Marco. Yeah. Horrible. It's pretty awful. Ned's not really in it. He's mentioned, but he's not in it. So I can't call out Ned on this yeah. one. So you're welcome, Ned lovers. There's nothing to bash <laughs> Ned on in this one. But just all the rest he's not of them... deserving of a cordless phone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ned. <laughs> anyway. Um, mm. Yeah. But yeah, everybody else. It's Carson's just... in it. Briefly. Very briefly, but yeah. he's in it. Thank goodness. Yeah. He he was fine. Yeah. Redeeming. Helpful. Thank you, Carson. Thanks, Carson. Yeah. One fine example <laughs> of the way a man should behave. But yeah. But overall, I don't know. It's not not fun. Not fun for me. But, you know, somewhat vaguely wintry, Christmassy. Very cold. Yeah. Cold, cold. <laughs> In, in River Heights in December, in the negatives, in the teens, I think mm-hmm. they were talking about. Um, Nancy has to snowshoe at one point, which is very exciting. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe one of the most exciting parts of the book is Nancy snowshoeing. So tells you a that, lot. That will <laughs> tell you a lot. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. No, the, the weather is supposed to be pretty horrible that it's even mm-hmm. difficult to snowshoe. So. <laughs> which that's nice at least at least they incorporated that sure yeah we don't even see actual christmas like the book ends mm-hmm. the week before christmas or it ends you know, something christmas like that Eve. oh it does okay mm-hmm. no which... we start a week before christmas then it takes place during right. that week okay yes but it's just kind of crazy to me though because even on even though it ends on christmas eve like we don't get any christmasy celebration they're just they're doing last minute shopping Maybe I'm jumping ahead here, but like it would have been so nice to to see that. Just have them like sitting around having hot Mm -hmm. chocolate together, you know, in the evening of Christmas or something, talking about the mystery, exchanging the gifts. Oh yeah, would have been so much better. Because if we start, if we literally start the book at the mall, looking for presents, can we not end the book exchanging the presents? Nice little bookend there. Instead of we have to go back because we didn't get all. We have to go back to the mall. I forgot about Ned until now, so I need to get him a gift finally. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, anyway, whatever. anyway, whatever. And it would have been, listen, I don't like Ned. I know I've gone on record to say, but it would have been a really nice way to end all the drama with Stuart. Yes, Nancy gets into another flirtation slash kind of a little bit of a relationship with someone. Yeah. Um, even though she's with Ned, it would have been nice to, after that experience, to have a comeback and give Ned her present, and that's the end of the book. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Uh, oh, well. Whatever. Whatever. Um. So three words? Paper, printing, just like mm-hmm. way too much information about printing processes. 
I feel like that was most of this book, just going around, mm-hmm. gathering information about how money mm-hmm. is actually printed. Mm-hmm. Touring different places that make money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I would also go to so far as to say secret relationships. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, because like Nancy's relationship with Stuart is kind mm-hmm. of a secret, like you know, who the counterfeiters are, their relationship with each other is secret. Mm -hmm. Like, um, lots of just, just like secrecy involving how people are, what people are actually Mm -hmm. doing with each other, you know? Yeah. That's definitely the vibe that I got. Um, then, hmm. I almost want to say police because they're not, largely featured but i just think that the way nancy handles the police in this one is very interesting because we start off with the arrest and everything after they find the counterfeit money right then the rest of it is like nancy like hmm you know the police don't need to know about that yet i'll tell them later (laughs) or it's up to me to decide that the police need to know about this murder like right all right nancy well kind of like in a more like um in a more general way yeah like not like police, but like policing. Okay. And yeah. like how Nancy is like policing others and how the police are policing about the counterfeiting and how. No, that's way better. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> huh. Okay. All right. I dig it. Printing, secret relationships, and policing. Yes. <laughs> what a not list. Not good. No, not good. But let's get into it. Anyway. Do you want to talk about the cover at all? I know we kind of oh, touched yeah. on it last time, but it's a nice cover. Honestly, it, I mean, it makes you go, oh, something's going on here. You know, they're looking you through know, the window. Yeah. You know what I find really interesting about this? Um, this is an Archway um, paperback that I have for this. Um, and it reminds me a lot of Rudy Nappy. Okay. Yeah, I see it. I definitely because see it. Because I think it's like Rudy Nappy, but like bad. <laughs> Oh, let's see. Because I mean, it usually I says who the. There's like three different scenes going on. There's also some like there's like that bill, um, the counterfeit bill behind Nancy. Mm-hmm. So it's very like visionary. Like there's like the larger pictures, like the background, and then you have like these smaller mm-hmm. kind of like focuses, focus focus points down at the bottom, um, and so that's very reminiscent of like I think the nappy covers, but it's Absolutely. just. Nancy looks different in every single illustration on the front. Like, first of all, Nancy's on it three different times. Oh my why gosh, you're put, right. Why would you put Nancy on the cover three times? Why not just once? And in every single picture, she looks different. She looks totally different. I don't I know. Her like, eyes did are they brown use, in that one. Like, That's did right. they use a different model for each one? Like, what Like what was the point? Um. Yeah, and then also, I think the kind of the 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 thing that makes the nappy cover so good is that he has a real i think understanding of uh like symmetry and perspective mm-hmm. um because of how he he always has like the three groups and kind of like where they are situated mm-hmm. on the cover um is really is really great um, but these, it's almost like, it almost looks like four different pictures, um, even though it's not. And so I'm very like distracted and I'm not, I don't know what to focus on. It's just very busy. Um, so it doesn't tell like an overall story. It tells like a bunch of different stories and I don't, 
I just don't think it's great. <laughs> no, that's a good point. Oh, um, here we go. The cover artist's name is Cliff Miller for this okay. one. Well, Cliff. Sorry. Um, not my favorite. Um, I, I think you could do better than this, Cliff. Um, it's definitely very Christmassy. It is very Christmassy. I do like that. We got two different Christmas trees on it. <laughs> yes. And yep. three Nancys. And three Nancys. <laughs> um, and a dead guy. Um, and I although, guess that's Stuart behind her in the, the big... Yeah, I don't know. Um, because also Nancy is wearing a dress um, that they also talk a lot about um, what Nancy is wearing at all times in this book, which is just common, I think, yeah. <laughs> at this point for um, the files. But she never describes wearing a red dress like that. No. Um, she does wear a red dress at one point in the book when she goes out with Stuart. But that dress has sleeves, and this dress is sleeveless. Hmm. And so... I don't know what scene that's necessarily supposed to be portraying because also like she's looking out the window and there's a Christmas tree behind them. That doesn't look like the restaurant that she and Stuart were at. Um, so I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what scene that's supposed to be. Although I do like the image of them strolling through the mall, like <laughs> laughing, <very> <laughs> <laughs> laughing about their boxes or whatever. It's a great one. Just picturing them running through mm-hmm. the mall just like that with their heads mm-hmm. tilted back that far. And yeah. 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 skipping <laughs> it's very like 90s yeah very 90s mall scene in like a teen movie with the mom <laughs> jeans with the mom jeans yeah love it perfect well, oh, anyway funny. anyway do you want to get into it yes so we start off this book with nancy bess and george at the mall like we said they are doing their christmas shopping it is the final week leading up to christmas um and bess goes into a store to try to buy something with some money that a family friend gave her but she is stopped by the clerk at the store because apparently the bills she has are counterfeit um all three girls have to go back to the police station where they talk to Chief McGinnis about this, who explains that they know Bess isn't responsible um, for these counterfeit bills, but they have seen an increase in counterfeit bills recently, and they want to try to figure out what's going on. Um, that evening, Bess leaves for California and exits the book um, because apparently she has to go visit an ex-boyfriend named Kyle, and they're going to see that if like they still have a flame or it's bizarre this is the worst reason to get Bess out of the picture <laughs> why couldn't she be here she's gonna go visit an ex-boyfriend first of all who does that who flies Blech. to a different state to see an ex at christmas that's bizarre like <laughs> i mean and and it's like it's best too i, I could understand if like it was like a really big deal. Like this person, you know, you had a really big thing with or whatever you were in love with them. And it was like a long-term relationship and, and maybe they were going to be alone for Christmas and you've been taught. I can understand if it was like that kind of thing, but Bess has a new boyfriend every other week. Yeah. Which is fine. That's how she wants to, to date. It's totally fine. But it just doesn't make sense to me that she would pick one and be like, I'm going to fly to another state during the holidays to see this person why <laughs> you don't have anybody nearer to you that you could go out with 
Not that we shouldn't be seeing Nancy Besser George prioritize their romantic relationships. Because no, no, obviously no. that's fine, but I just feel like we put too much emphasis on it. Mm. Like you said, this is not somebody that's that important to Bess. She's going to have a new guy by the next book anyway. Like it just right. seems like uh, not characteristic of Bess to like prioritize yeah. a random ex guy at Christmas time. I feel like. Bess would be like leading the holiday party. She'd be exactly. like having cookie baking parties with her family or something. Yeah. Like she would be, or she would know about like some town event where there's exactly. going to be a lot of cute guys, and she's trying to get uh, Nancy and George to go with her. Oh, Bess so would be volunteering, running the event. Like, <laughs> yes. yeah, Bess yeah. seems like very much like a stay home and do cozy Christmas things mm-hmm. and not jet off to see some random. I don't know. I just yeah, I don't I like could see the emphasis. George doing that. Um, George seems to be somebody who likes to travel and potentially would revisit an ex in like a serious way. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. But yeah, not Bess. I don't know. It just seems weird. And also, I just don't like that they took her out. No. Our favorite character. Bring her back. Anyway, so, um, she's gone. Um, and then the day after Bess leave, Nancy gets a call from Chief McGinnis telling her that the counterfeiting activity is heating up and that Nancy should do some investigating if she's willing. Thanks, Thanks Chief McGinnis. <laughs> so they decide, yep, they're, they're going to do that. And George and Nancy go to visit Bess's family friend, whom she calls Aunt Celeste, even though she's not really her, um, her aunt, um, where she works at River Heights Magazine. Um, and when they get there, um, Aunt Celeste, Celeste, she's distraught at the news and confirms that she, I, you know, she has no idea who made those counterfeit bills and she would have never given them to Bess if she knew that they were counterfeit. Um, but as soon as she says that, someone stops by her off stores and says, hey, I know exactly who makes counterfeit bills. Oh, okay. Has our mystery been solved by the end of chapter one? Um, no. Um, this person who stopped by is just some guy named Jason. He apparently writes for River Heights magazine and turns out he's just making some kind of joke about, um, Pamela Carrera who runs their art department. Um, because she is an artist, I guess. I don't know. Um, um, but, uh, then Celeste realizes, oh, I actually do realize where I got this money from. It's from this ski trip thing that I organized for our office. And it was like people had to like pay her money for this trip and she was organizing it for everyone. Um, and so it was given to her by someone in the office. It was either Pamela or um, this artist named Chloe Lee, who also happens to be Jason's girlfriend. Um, <laughs> Jason... <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. What? Oh, this is just already a big, big plot hole for me. I don't know. Just because she got the money from them doesn't automatically mean that they're the only two who could have counterfeited this money. Like no. they could have gotten it from anywhere. Right. And then the place they got it from could have been literally mm-hmm. anywhere. Like it's just too broad for Nancy to be focusing on like three suspects. Because it's just no, no, no. I be... don't think. Yeah, I don't think she's focusing. I mean, I mean, I know she counts them on her suspects list, mm. but I think essentially, at least at the beginning, right now, what she's trying to do is trace back 
the money. So she can say, oh, well, I got it from this person. And then Nancy goes to that person and be like, where'd you get it? And they'd be like, I got it from this person. And then she can keep following that back down the line until well, eventually she does get to the counterfeiters. But the problem is, of course, with that story, is that she can't know if anybody is telling her the truth. Well, and that tree is just too big, too. Yeah. Because, yeah. Mm-hmm. And especially especially in the 90s, like, having a physical credit card that you, like, electronic tr- transactions were just not really a thing yet. Everything mm-hmm. was cash back then. So just because you have cash in your possession doesn't mean, like, it could have been change that you got from somewhere. Right. It could have been something that somebody give, gives you cash to pay you back for this trip or whatever. It, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's and- just way too broad. We learn that later from Pamela, too. So, like, once Nancy does go ask Pamela, like, hey, did you give, where did you get this money that you gave to Celeste? She's like, I have no idea. Like, she, like, opens her appointment book and she's like, see, these are all the places that I went yeah, that, that I could have spent Like, it. I could have gotten it from, like, I went to the dry cleaners, I went to the florist, like, I, like all these different places so i get that that's like the only real strategy that nancy could use in this case it just doesn't seem like the greatest one because obviously they make that point of like it could have come from literally anywhere and so Mm -hmm. just yeah anyway sorry that's no you're good you're good (laughs) um but so yeah so we want to go talk to pamela about this the art director but jason tells us that she's not here right now she typically typically works later so we can come back later if we want to talk to her um but he can actually take us to go talk to chloe right now and she's at her studio which is just a few minutes away so they all go he makes this big deal about taking them in his brand new jeep that he's very excited about um and once we get to chloe's studio we meet chloe and then we meet this other artist this italian guy who shares the studio with her um whose name is marco diani um and Marco and um, Jason, or no, Marco and Chloe go off and talk to each other because Marco's very shy and he doesn't mm. want to talk to Chloe in front of Nancy and George, who he doesn't know. Um, so Nancy and George are left alone in the studio, which is very convenient because Nancy takes this moment to go snoop a little bit. And she ends up finding a closet with like a bunch of different machines and equipment. Um, and then hidden around behind all of those like stacks of equipment is a color copier that she thinks <laughs> could have been used to make um, the counterfeit bills. Nancy sneaks back um, to where she was with George earlier um, without revealing to Chloe what it is that she's found. Um, and then they all decide to go to dinner together. So Jason, Chloe, Marco, George, and Nancy all go to dinner. And this is where they also meet Stuart. Uh, Stuart's also been invited. He's this, um, his name's Stuart Teal. He runs a printing company. He's also very attractive and very into Nancy, of course. (laughs) Um, At dinner, Nancy also learns that basically everybody knows each other from having gone to the same schools, like the same art schools, um, and also Jason is really cruel to Marco for some weird reason. Um, he just makes like jokes at his expense. He's not nice to him. Um, and there's like this awkward scene where they all have to like pay their checks. It's very weird. Um, and then they all leave. <laughs> um, but Nancy and George decide, hey, since we just all kind of left from dinner, maybe now is a good time to go back to the studio to investigate more. But once they get back to the studio, they see that Marco and Chloe are actually there, um, so they can't really sneak around. But they do overhear them arguing in the basement. So they listen in, 
And Marco is very upset, of course, because of how Jason treated him at dinner. And Chloe is like responding by saying like, but she's in love with Jason. And so Marco just needs to like get used to it so they can quote unquote, go on with their plans. Hmm. Marco says like, okay, fine, but our deal will need to be changed. So clearly there's some kind of situation going on between these three, Chloe, Jason, and and Marco. It's just not really clear what it is they're talking about, but could it be a counterfeiting scheme, perhaps? Yes, they could. (laughs) (laughs) So after this, Chloe doesn't leave the building, so Nancy and George decide, let's just go, we'll sneak back in later. Um, So instead, they go over to the River Heights Magazine building to see if they can meet Pamela, um, and they do. She is super rude, very defensive towards them, especially when they start asking about the fake bills. She's just not entertaining any questions that they have for her. Um, So Nancy's like, oh, well, I mean, if you can't remember, I'll just come back tomorrow to see if your memory is better then. Um, And then Pamela is like, sure, I'll have the story for you then. I mean, I mean, the information for you then. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I said story because I'm so used to talking about like newspaper stories. (laughs) Yeah. That's why I said that. Anyway. Suspicious. Um, yeah. <laughs> so the next morning they go to meet Stuart because he has insisted that they come take a tour of his printing business. Um, it's this massive operation, very complex. We get way too much detail on <laughs> the history of paper and printing and his family that's been in this business since the, the 1400s or whatever. Not really, but... <laughs> Um, so Nancy starts asking very specific questions about like, oh, well, if it was counterfeit, like how would we know? And like, how do, how do, like, how does the government like safeguard against counterfeiters or whatever, whatever. Um, and so he gives her a lot of information because he apparently knows a lot, a lot about this. Um, even though he claims that he is not a security printer. So he clarifies that there's like regular printers and then there are security printers who the security printers are the ones that actually know how to make money. So they would have the actual details. Um, and so he's actually just like a normal printer. So what they normally print is like jobs for businesses and letterhead and that kind of stuff. Um, so they tour all the machines and as they're like exiting, Nancy grabs like a discarded piece of paper, um, that they like, they'd printed it and it wasn't a good one. So they discarded it. And so she grabs it and stuffs it into her bag. Um, and then as they're like stepping out of the building, they go out into this area that's like a loading dock. Um, and Nancy or like somebody comes out of nowhere and throws this giant carton at Nancy. Um, and they're wearing a mask so she can't see who it is and she's able to jump out of the way um, but then they open the carton and they see that it's full of rocks <laughs> this is our dramatic moment everyone yeah someone throws a box of rocks in nancy <laughs> well and it it like also causes her to fall off of the yeah. loading dock area yeah. and they're like oh no nancy you fell four feet are you, are you okay? okay yeah <laughs> Um, so whoever it was that wanted to harm us is gone now, but, um, the only people that we've met so far are the ones that we, or that know that we're investigating here. So that obviously has to be our culprit, right? <laughs> right. Um, so after the tour, they head back to River Heights magazine to see Pamela again, but she's out, even though obviously she knew, she knew that we would be stopping by today. So clearly she is just dodging Nancy. Um, but Nancy decides, hey, great, I'll just snoop through her things while she's gone. 
Um, and she has a closet full of very expensive designer clothes, just like absolutely crammed full in her office. Yeah. Weird. <laughs> um, so is she using counterfeit money to buy all this mm. like super nice luxury items or I don't know, kind of strange. Um, but then they decide that they're going to drive out to see a real currency printer because um, Chief McGinnis has like arranged for this tour for us so that we can see like what the real process looks like. Um so essentially the person that's giving the tour gives them all these like trade secrets or information about not, not actually giving them secrets, but right. just telling them that there are all these secrets within the industry about like how to go about printing money. So there's like a few different factors that you would need in order to make a really good or a successful forgery, but also just to legitimately make money. You need a decent color printer, a, like a certain quality ink and really good paper. Um, and he tells us that there's only one company that makes this currency paper and it's called um, King and Company. So we get all this information and essentially Nancy learns, huh, you can't just use normal white printer paper to print currency on. Didn't know that before because, you know, I passed uh, kindergarten. But anyway, so after... <laughs> so we leave the tour, we get all that great information and Nancy goes, huh, let me check that piece of paper that I grabbed from Stuart's business operation floor, the discarded piece. And she takes it. She looks a closer look at the, the watermark on the paper and sees it's King and Company. So same company ah. that prints the currency paper. So Nancy's like, hey, I got a great idea. Let me investigate this a little bit further into what Stuart's got here. So she calls and says, hey, uh, my friend Bess really wants some like custom stationery for Christmas. Um, you know, I've called around. It's too last minute. Could you help me out? And he's like, oh, of course, Nancy, you beautiful, perfect being. I would do anything for you. Um, actually, I have this great paper that I use. It's called King's Paper. It's like the best quality. So your friend's going to love it. And Nancy's like, oh, huh. That's that's so funny. Isn't that the like money paper, the like currency mm -hmm. paper company? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they make a ton of products. They have the currency paper, but this is like another one of their products. Okay. Uh, so it's not the currency yeah. money. It's just really, really good quality stationary paper or whatever. So dead end, whatever. Um, but then Stuart's like, what if we all went to play racquetball right now? Wouldn't that be so fun? <laughs> so they do. Um, but first they have to stop back to the, um, they have to stop back by the magazine to talk to Pamela again. Um, first they end up talking to Celeste who happens to tell them that Pam, uh, that Pamela has been spending a lot lately at work. Um, like she's been going to these company lunches and just spending way too much, like way more than she should be spending. Um, but she only arrived in like the last six months or so. And her last job was for this like pretty, um, pretty big fancy fashion magazine. So maybe she's just used to a larger budget at work. Um, or maybe she's up to something. Um, but they see on Celeste's desk that she has a check um, that Chloe gave her, and it's for $10,000. So what on earth could Chloe be paying Celeste for that would be $10,000? Mm. Mm, very interesting. Um, so they go talk to Pamela after this, and she's like, oh, yeah, um, I don't remember where I got those 20s from. Um, and this is the part where you said she takes out her calendar, and she's like, oh, look, this this is that whole week. Like, look at all the places that I could have spent the money at. Um, and Nancy's like, hey, you know, I heard about your extravagant spending. What's that about? <laughs> um, and this just makes Pamela very angry, and so they leave. Right. Um, but then Nancy and George go play racquetball, um, and they have a really nice time, and Nancy – 
you know, starts to realize her <laughs> feelings for Stuart. As he's making his feelings for her very, very clear. Um, mm-hmm. But then afterwards, uh, after they're done playing, um, Jason is like, hey, you guys should go use the steam room. Um, it's women only today, so go enjoy. So they do, and Chekhov's gun goes off. They have to get <laughs> locked in the steam room. Anytime there's a steam room in one of these books, Nancy's <laughs> going to get locked inside of it. Absolutely. And then the temperature starts rising. So they start banging on the door. They're screaming, but to no avail. Um, so Nancy decides that she's going to get a running start and kick it open. <laughs> but then suddenly, with perfect timing, um, Stuart outside is or Stuart is outside with a crowbar, and then also Jason and Marco has showed up by now. Uh, weird, but they get the door open. They rescue them. Whatever. So Nancy's like obviously glad to have been rescued but she's like did somebody did one of these three guys lock us in here in the first place mm-hmm. very questionable so the next day nancy and george decide that they're going to track down an old professor of chloe and marco's um, because they all went to school together because she says that she has a hunch that it could be helpful um so this professor lives in chicago so they drive to chicago track him down and then when they do he happens to remember chloe and marco very well how convenient. Um, they were both super talented. And he says, he starts talking about what a shame it was that Marco got in so much trouble his sophomore year. Um, he got expelled for making counterfeit money on a color printer. <laughs> yeah. So apparently Marco went to juvie for this as he was still 17 at the time, which also makes me curious because I thought this was in like college um, but I guess maybe he went to college early. Uh, maybe he's, I don't know. Maybe it's the um, art high school. Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't whatever. know. Um, and the professor also doesn't think that he was actually doing it for like money. He just wanted to do it to like test his own skill to see if he could do it and get away with it. Um, and he only made a couple bills and he only used them at the school cafeteria. And if he really meant to do harm, like why wouldn't he try to buy like a really expensive car or something like that? How do we know Um, he didn't try? (laughs) Okay. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. But so, okay. Um, Later that evening, Nancy and George attend this cartoonist gala, (laughs) which this was was so confusing because they just like all of a sudden they're just Nancy's getting ready for the gala. Mm -hmm. Not brought it up at all Mm -hmm. until this point. I had to flip back and looked. Nope. No mention of a gala. (laughs) No, like, hey, Nancy, we're doing this tonight. You should come with us. Nothing like that. We're just, we're here now. Um, but they're going because um, this gala is going to be presenting an award for like best cartoonist of the year or something. And Chloe is nominated and she actually ends up winning. Um, and once they make that announcement that Chloe has won, Jason makes this snide remark to Marco out of nowhere for like no reason. And Marco then like furiously leaves um, saying like he wishes that Jason would just lay off because he's not actually jealous of Jason and Chloe's relationship. And we're like, what's going on? (laughs) So, yeah. um, At this evening, Stuart also basically professes his love to Nancy. Um, And it's also the weirdest scene, and I really want to talk about it later. It's It's the most bizarre scene. Um, But whatever. Later, um, after this gala, Nancy and George decide that tonight is the best night. While everybody's still busy at the gala, we're going to go break into the studio to look for evidence. They do. Um, They end up getting on Marco's computer at the studio to see if they can 
find something incriminating on there and they see a mock-up of a $50 bill. Um, of course, this is a good clue, but it's not solid evidence that Marco is actually printing counterfeits. Maybe this is old. Maybe this is from his school project that he did, right? Um, maybe he's not actively printing this. He's just making a mock-up of a, a $50 bill for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so the next day, Nancy decides that she's going to try to confront everyone with the evidence she's found to see what it is that they'll say. Um, so she goes to the studio, um, with George and Chloe is there. Um, and Chloe's upset because Margo seems to be missing. Um, she says that he missed an important deadline with a client this morning, which is out of character for him. Um, she can't reach him on his phone. She called him on his roommate and his roommate can't even tell if he came home last night. So she's freaking out. Um, at this point, Nancy decides to ask her about the $10,000 check that she sent to Celeste. Um, and she says that she, Chloe, Celeste, um, Marco, and Jason were all planning on going into business with each other. Um, and that $10,000 was like her startup contribution towards that business. Um, but she says Marco is actually thinking about backing out of this business deal because he's jealous of Jason and her. Um those are her words that he's jealous of them. Um, it's also kind of, we get that idea because the professor told us earlier that Chloe and Marco used to date when they were in school. And so we think that like, maybe this is like Marco still feeling like possessive of Chloe or something. Um, I think it's more likely that it's because Jason is an ass. Um, <laughs> but you know, potato, potato. Um, Nancy also tells Chloe about finding out about Marco's previous counterfeiting conviction and the mock-up of the $50 bill she found on his computer. And Chloe says, no, 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 you've got this all wrong. The college thing, that was just like a lark. It was a dare. It wasn't serious. A dare? A felony on a dare? Okay. (laughs) Um, and besides, there's no way he would do that again after he went to juvie. Like there's just, you, you got it wrong. Um, and the bill is probably just an ad that he was working on for River Heights bank who he sometimes works for. And I'm sorry, (laughs) why would River Heights bank want a, an ad of a $50 bill? They wouldn't, they wouldn't because bank advertisements aren't look at money. Here's what money looks like. Do you have this? We'll hold it for you. <laughs> Whatever. Okay, Chloe, live in your delusion. Um, after this conversation, uh, George and Nancy leave the studio, and they find this ornament hanging on the tree branch that's, like, hanging over the car windshield, um, and it has a note attached. It says, wise up, girl detective. Nothing's perfect at perfect. What? <laughs> I was very confused about this too. The first time I read it took me a while, but I finally realized that what they're trying to say is nothing's perfect at perfect printing, Uh which is Stuart's business. But the way that it's written on the note, they don't capitalize perfect. Yeah. Like the second perfect. So it just looks like gibberish. Like nothing's perfect at perfect. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's just, it's lame. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so this prompts us to go over to Perfect Printing to see Stuart. And on our way in, we run into Pamela. Um, and she's really surprised to see them there. And she just kind of makes this offhanded comment about Stuart needing to keep their business dealings private. 
Okay. Um, So in Stuart's office, once they get back to his office, Nancy confronts him about using the same ink as uh, the, what he called security printers earlier, the same people that print money. Um, Carson actually learned this fact recently and informed Nancy of it. And he says, all right, I will tell you only though, if you agree to go to dinner with me tonight. Uh, oh my god so annoying this is like triggering to me yeah (laughs) it's pretty gross Uh, but she accepts they go to dinner um it's very very fancy Stuart is continuing to make his interest in nancy abundantly clear nancy's um flirting back until the end of the dinner when she's like i have to tell you something (laughs) i have a boyfriend she starts telling him about ned and he says he does not care (laughs) Could care less about your little boyfriend, Nancy. Uh, but he also tells her that the reason he's in business with the the ink company, so the real reason that we're at dinner tonight, um, is because they reached out to him and explained that they are trying to increase their presence in the U.S. market. Um, so that's why he has to use their products. Not, not any more of an explanation from that. Um, but then it like it cuts off from the date but then it flashes to nancy she's in her bed like or she's in her bedroom laying in bed getting ready for bed that evening um and she's just like going through what happened after the date in her mind she made out with him (laughs) and she's like just mulling over this in her head reliving the kiss yeah and telling herself that no matter what happens in the future she promises to herself that she's never gonna regret it because it was such a perfect kiss it's uh, disgusting. Okay. <laughs> it was perfect and like such a such a great experience. I know I'm cheating on my boyfriend, but I'll never regret doing it. Okay. All right. Um, so anyway, that <laughs> evening ends and the next morning, George and Nancy go to Marco's apartment to investigate a little bit more because he is still missing. Um, his roommate isn't home, so they just break in. Why mm-hmm. not? Um <laughs> Marco is apparently a very neat person. Everything looks very in order, very clean, but they do find that all of Marcos's clothes appear to be gone from his closet. So it looks like he left town. Um, they decide to dig through the trash. Um, yeah, literally just like dump out this man's garbage all over his kitchen floor and are just sorting so through it. I was this. It was great. This made me so happy because I was like, Nancy's actually doing some serious, like dirty detective yeah, work. Yeah, literally like, getting her hands dirty with the mystery. Finally. <laughs> yeah, it was a nice little moment. Uh, but they're digging through the trash, and she's making George help her with this. Yes. Um, but they find, um, they don't really find anything in the garbage. And Nancy's like, oh, that's just so strange. Um, but look at this. He's, like, such a, a neat freak. He's so clean that he keeps extra trash can liners, like, in the bottom of his trash can. Many people do that. So not super, <laughs> Not super surprising. But then she's like, she picks up the trash can liner, um, and all these counterfeit bills fall out okay okay so they decide to go meet up with chloe um and she remembers hey marco has this habit of going to these cottages that are near this lake nearby whenever he needs to get out of town that's his kind of place that he goes whenever he needs some space um so she has the phone number still so she calls them nancy calls them and the desk clerk confirms yeah marco checked in last night i see the reservation right here um let me transfer your call to his room transfers the call it rings through nobody answers so nancy decides it's only about two hours away i can make this drive today i'm going to drive out there myself george cautions her not to but 
she does. She goes out there. Um, it's also snowing pretty heavily at this point. But Nancy starts driving and something starts to appear wrong with her car. Um, she gets out and she realizes that someone has loosened all of the lug nuts on her tires. Um, and it was driving fine just yesterday. So she knows, like, obviously Marco couldn't have done this if he's been missing this entire time. He would have had to have done it, like, since he went missing. So it couldn't have been him. So who else would have tried to sabotage me? Hmm. Mm. Uh, very strange. So she thinks that over a little bit. She tightens the bolts on the, the tire, gets back on the road, and she reaches the resort, tells the desk clerk that she's there to see Marco, and he gives her snowshoes because he's <laughs> like, yeah, um, it's kind of a walk out there that's kind of like our furthest cabin, closest to the lake, most secluded. So here's some snowshoes. <laughs> Put these on so that you could walk out. Um, and it is snowing pretty hard, I think, at this point. Like, she can barely see a few feet in front of her. She's having a really hard time, um, like, walking at all. Like, it's really hard to trudge through the snow. And it's so awkward to walk in snowshoes anyway. Um, but she finally makes it there. And the front door is locked, of course. So she knocks. No answer. So she goes around the side, looks in a window, and sees Marco inside, face down, in a pool of blood on the floor. He's dead oh stone cold dead she ends up kicking in the door open um she checks his pulse and there's no pulse someone killed him she she can okay this is funny too so apparently nancy can tell just from touching him that he was killed about an hour ago <laughs> add that to the skill list someone calls csi <laughs> nancy can identify by touch someone's time of death <laughs> what a useful skill <laughs> But so she's looking around the room and it's apparent that there was some kind of scuffle, um, like a lamp was knocked over and Marco was very clearly hit over the head by the fireplace poker, which has blood on it. And is like off to the side. We have to talk about this later. Hmm. Um, Nancy goes into Marco's wallet and um, notes the large bills in there seem to be the real deal. They don't seem to be counterfeit. Um, she also looks at his beeper. Um, and now for those of you who were born <laughs> after beepers were a thing, um, a beeper is like this object <laughs> Clips on that your existed <laughs> before, um, cell phones did. Um, and so what would happen is people would call your beeper when they wanted to get in touch with you. And because you didn't have cell phone, the beeper would show the number that the person called you from. And so you could be like, oh, I know that number. That's so-and-so's number and so then you would go to the phone to return the call yeah that's how people got in touch <laughs> so what nancy does she picks up his beeper and looks at it and memorizes the last number that called him this is so smart um so nancy treks back to the main office um where she calls the police to report you know that marco's dead um and they're on their way here and so she decides in this meantime, before the police get here, she's also going to call the number from Marco's beeper. Um, and so she calls it and reaches Stuart's voicemail. Oh, hmm. who would have thought? Why would Stuart be calling Marco? Um, Nancy calls Stuart's office afterwards to try to get in touch with him that way. And they say that Stuart is out for the day. Okay. So now Stuart is our prime suspect. Um, and could he... I mean, like, what a thought. Could he have even been just using this romance as a smokescreen um, while he was actually counterfeiting money and framing Marco for, for this? 
Um, could he and Pamela be in on it together? Because clearly he and Pamela have some weird thing going on. Mm. Pamela was like, don't tell them our business, Stuart. So Nancy's pretty convinced at this point that it's Stuart. So she calls George and tells her to meet her at Stuart's house, which is where they, uh, where she now heads. Um, and once both she and Nancy arrive there, George gets in Nancy's car and they like duck down to like watch Stuart's house. Um, and then Jason comes driving in in his Jeep and like screeches to a halt outside Stuart's house. And um, he get he goes inside the house. And then they notice that after Jason has gone into the house, they go and look at the Jeep and they see that the back is loaded down with heavy boxes which the girls discover after breaking in, sneaking into the back of the car, that the boxes are filled with bleached $1 bills. Hmm. Now, we learned earlier in the book that a, a typical way to get the currency paper um, that a lot of counterfeiters use is to get lower denominations of bills, so like dollar bills, and bleach them so that they can reuse the paper that those money that money was printed on and print them at higher currencies, right? So they'd get take like a $1 bill, bleach it, and then print a $20 mm-hmm. ink on it. Does that make sense? Whatever, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> So <laughs> the girls uh, have to get out of the Jeep um, and get back in Nancy's car just in time because Stuart and Jason are coming out. And so they do. Um, Stuart and Jason get in the Jeep and drive away. And so Nancy follows them um, and they drive to perfect printing. Uh, Nancy sees that they've pulled up to the loading dock. So George and Nancy sneak in um, where they see Stuart and Jason making counterfeit bills. Hmm. Surprise, surprise. Um, we overhear Stuart and Jason talking and we learn that they're in on it together, but it was actually Jason who made like the amateur copies of bills and swapped them for real ones in Chloe's wallet, um, which is what started the whole investigation, right? Chloe's the one who paid Celeste those Mm -hmm. fake twenties and Celeste is the one who gave those twenties to Bess. So that's how we got here. Um, Um, they also mention how Stuart was trying and failing to make Nancy fall in love with him. (laughs) Failing a little bit, but... Mm, Yeah, uh... I mean, not really, not really. Um, unfortunately at this, Nancy, uh, accidentally knocks over some cartons of paper while they are snooping and attracts Stuart and Jason's attention. So George and Nancy try to make a run for it. Uh, to the loading dock door, but unfortunately they are foiled by a rolling barrel of some printing liquid. I don't know what it is. Um, (laughs) And Jason, with a gun, pulls a gun out. Um, He holds them at gunpoint and then leads them to this dark room where he has Stuart tie them up. Um, And then we learn a bit more about this whole operation. So... Turns out Perfect Printing is actually not doing so well financially, Um, but it was actually Jason's idea originally to print the money, and then he convinced Stuart to help him, who agreed because of his financial situation. Um, And so along with Stuart, Jason was blackmailing Marco, um, who they had make the mock-ups of the bills that they were printing, um, and with Stewart's printing business and connections to the ink and paper people, um, they were able to pull it off and make really sophisticated um, uh, counterfeit. Um, and Chloe is totally unaware of this whole thing. 
Um, and then they killed Marco because he was quote unquote getting antsy. Um, we think that he was probably the one who left the note for Nancy on the car. He was trying to warn Nancy about the counterfeiting operation. Um, cause obviously he was kind of fed up with it at this point. Um, and then they killed him by hitting him over the head with a fireplace poker. Um, <laughs> Jason and Stuart also sabotaged Nancy's tires. They also locked her in the sauna to scare her off. Um, and they planned to print $2 million in cash and split it between the two of them. But now Jason's like, you know what? <laughs> Splitting $2 million isn't as good as just taking it all for myself. So Stuart, get on the ground. And he points uh-huh. a gun at Stuart. Um, and decides to tie Stuart up as well. But so as he's, um, so he ties Stuart up and then he goes to finish printing the $2 million. But as he's doing that, Nancy is able to get free. She like is able to cut her binds on like a nearby object. Um, and she unties George and they leave Stuart tied up. Oh yeah. <laughs> Which is excellent. Um, and then decide to try to jump Jason to try and get the gun. Um, unfortunately they are unsuccessful at this and Jason ends up taking George hostage and tries to like pull her into his Jeep and try to get away. Um, but Nancy karate chops him on the back of the neck. (laughs) Excellent. Literally says the book says delivers a karate chop to the back of his neck. Um, and with that is then able to get the gun away uh, from Jason and hold both him or both hold, hold both Jason and Stuart there um, while the authorities arrive. (laughs) Um, The next day we wrap up there at the mall. Bess is now home. So she makes an appearance for the last time. Um, And she tells us that she and Kyle called it quits for real. So it was also a waste of a trip. Shame, shame, shame. And then Nancy says that she still hasn't found a present for Ned. And so George suggests a beeper so that they'll never be out of touch again. Ha ha ha. Very funny joke. And that's the end of the book. (laughs) LOL. So funny. So funny. Yeah. Yay. Happy happy holidays, everyone. (laughs) Oh. Yeah. Thoughts, Corey? (laughs) Mm. Where to start? Where to start? Okay, <laughs> we got to start at the gala scene that oh. I just want to, like, read oh. bits of because it is wild stuff. Okay, let's see. Mm. Okay, so after Chloe gets the award... Oh, no, I have to start, have to start sooner than that because... So they, they go to the, um, the cartoonist gala or whatever... And so they talk about what Nancy and George are wearing. Because <laughs> glancing around the ballroom, Nancy could see that she and George were appropriately dressed for the gala. I'm glad we asked what to wear, Nancy commented. She felt ultra feminine, and her black velvet poof dress, its sweetheart neckline, created a dramatic contrast against her fair skin. The gently rounded skirt highlighted her shapely legs. She wore the sheerest black stockings reserved for formal occasions. Um... 
and black patent leather shoes with a slim, graceful heel. George looked smart in silvery evening pants and coordinating scoop neck top and gold braid piping. She seemed even taller than usual, having chosen a moderate heel to go with the ensemble. A soft silver eyeshadow and subtle pink lip gloss accented her lively features. Two whole paragraphs devoted so good to the outfits. Spectacular. Um, but also after that, <laughs> this is so weird. As the two girls walked toward the table with the seating cards, Nancy sensed eyes on her and George and saw nods of approval from the people around her. I'm sorry. What? <laughs> when have you ever, like, you're in an event, whatever, you look at somebody's outfit and you nod your approval? Who does that? Who's like, oh, yeah. They're dressed well. Oh, yeah. That's, mm-hmm. They look good. No! How would you even know that's that that's what the nods bananas. are for? Bananas. Bananas. So... Very weird scene. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it starts out really weird, but then um, Stuart kisses Nancy on the cheek. Stuart's handsomer than ever. Blah, blah, blah. Um, they congratulate Chloe. Okay, and then Chloe wins, and then so she, uh, Chloe returns to the table, and Marco turned to kiss Chloe and give her, gave her a peck on the cheek. It's wonderful for you, he said. He sounded sincere, Nancy thought. But then <laughs> Jason goes, it is wonderful, wonderful for us, isn't it? And maybe when you're all grown up, Marco, you'll get an award too. And so that's when Marco gets all pissed, and he leaves the table. He says, I've had enough of this um you know whatever he storms off and so they nancy goes after him and Stuart intercepts nancy in the hallway mm. <laughs> um so she's asking him you know why do they argue so much and okay here we go i hate to stay to say it Stuart said slowly but i think it has to do with love he touched nancy's face lightly as he talked Marco is deeply in love with Chloe, and she's with Jason now. He never got over her, and now he wants them to be as miserable as he is. Wouldn't be surprised if you found love, not money, at the bottom of this crime. Um, no, it was money. Saying, are you saying you think Marco's the counterfeiter and that he's trying to frame Chloe to get revenge? Nancy asked. Stuart stopped stroking Nancy's face and gently placed his hands on her shoulders. Okay. Like... Gliding his hands down Nancy's arms, he replied, people will do almost anything for love. And after meeting uh, you, I can speak as an expert on that subject. No! So, okay, when in your life has anyone stroked your face while they were talking to you? Like, just, it's a full paragraph of text. It's a wall of text. It's not just, like, one quick touch on her face that he does. He's, like, full on stroking her face the whole time he's talking and then he moves his hands down to her shoulders and like strokes her arms it's <laughs> a good way to get slapped oh my oh. god yeah i don't like <laughs> that <laughs> it's so creepy so ooky spooky mm -hmm. seward is just the biggest is the biggest creep at the end when they're in perfect printing and they see them counterfeiting or whatever nancy is like, I can't believe you would do this, Stuart, or whatever. And he he acts all like, uh, like, oh, I didn't mean to. I would never, you know, like all this stuff to try to like weasel out of it. Um, 
and like essentially like say, oh, it's it's Jace, all Jason. Jason's the one who wanted me to do it. Jason says I would never, I never wanted to hurt you, Nancy. I only loosened the tires on your car to scare you. I didn't do it to hurt you, even though Jason wanted me to kill you. I I wouldn't like all this stuff. He yeah, he even says creep. like, just let me explain. You don't mm-hmm. understand. Like no, it's exactly what it looks like here. Sorry, yeah. but mm. yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. Men are trash. This man is trash. Jason's also horrible, but at oh, least he's, he's the worst. upfront about it. Like, he doesn't pretend not to be horrible. He's just a skis bag and, and horrible the whole That's time. That's true. Mm. I do want to talk about Stuart, though, because I don't love this trope of men who are super in love with Nancy that are somehow both young enough to sort of ish almost be age appropriate but old enough to be like these super influential successful powerful people people because they present Stuart like he is you know about age appropriate i mean honestly in this universe same age is never i mean like we never (laughs) get that it's always going to be a few years older at least but then he's also like president of this super important company and he's like running everything and has this like super high profile job and is like supposedly an expert in this field it's like Mm -hmm. no no you are a baby who is just starting out their Mm -hmm. career like you there's no way that he could be both this you know like successful and also young enough to be appropriate for nancy yeah, Carson tells us at one point that like he because it's like this um this business that's been around for a long time that Stuart's dad stepped down when Stuart graduated from college to give him the business. Yeah. Which first of all, that's crazy. But <laughs> crazy to <just>, yeah. <laughs> But also just to like come out of college and be like, I'm good enough to be the CEO now. And also I know everything that there is to know. There's no way. I just don't like this trope. It's so annoying to me. Yeah. And, but also even if, so even if he's, I don't know, what, 22, 23, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, he just got out of college and we want him to be near enough to, to Nancy's age to not raise too many eyebrows. But like imagine yourself graduating from college and then wanting to date an 18 year old who has not gone to college. Imagine a mat wild. I would, you would never though. There's nothing in it for you. Like, I mean, once you're a senior in college, freshmen in college are like disgusting. Yeah. Disgusting. Even once you're like a sophomore in college, (laughs) freshmen are like disgusting. So it's like, Oh my God, I don't want to date that person. (laughs) You're such an infant. No, like, like, wow. Wow. You know? I mean, that's the way it should be, but not in exactly. the Nancy Drew exactly. world. But, but okay, but also, I want to say, too, because at the end of it, um, like, Beth says something really interesting about their age, too. She says, um, um, so they're at the mall, and Nancy's asking, weren't there any cute guys in California or whatever? And she said, lots, and all of the law students were adorable because she was visiting Kyle at college. Yeah. Um, and she says, I can't wait to go to college so I can graduate and start law school. I liked that part of it. That was nice. Yeah. But so she's, but Bess is saying that she's not in college. Yeah. I can't wait to go to college so yeah. I can graduate college and then go to law school. So um, they're 18. <laughs> yes, they, but it's, but it's also interesting too, because we're definitely at Christmas. It's Christmas time. That's very well established. So we're, but we're not in high school. No. We're taking a, a break. I guess. I guess a year or so. 
but it's just it's the most i think it's 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 very directly some of the 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 most um the biggest clue that we've gotten as to like their age like i i feel like i i feel like Bess could be in high school like by reading this i was like so so Bess is in high school right like, i don't think she's so she's not she's definitely not because there there are points where they they like go to college like right. i'm thinking of like two points to murder and i'm thinking of like there's like that match like uh, dating service. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where they pose um, dark as and college students. Yes, tall, dark, and deadly. Yeah, um, yeah. So like, there's definitely, and also high marks for malice. Oh, they're, of course. They yeah. go to college, so it's like they're you know age appropriate to be in college. Yeah. But I just I've never heard Bess say I can't wait to go to college so I can graduate. I did like that addition, and I do like I did the like idea of, of Bess going to law school as well. That feels yes. like a nice progression. Mm-hmm. But but it was just an interesting, I think, clue about their age. Yeah. It's like, so you're young. You're not in school. You're young. It was way better than being like, oh, yeah, there's so many hot guys. I can't wait to, like, hang out around a college so that I can get a hot mm-hmm. guy. It's, mm-hmm. I want to be in college myself and go right. to law school. That's great. I mean, she was saying that, that she wanted to go to law school because all the boys in law school were really cute. Sure, but... But still. <laughs> she's still a student herself rather than Nancy it's just very, going to visit. Yeah. It's very Elle Woods pre-realizing Warner is a, a tool bag. trash, you know? yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. That's so best. I like that <laughs> that arc for her. Mm-hmm. Oh, anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. What else you got? Um, I want to talk about Marco a little bit and how they... Uh, his manner of death. Um, because... Nancy goes and he is like lying in a pool of blood and she determines that he's been hit over the head by a fireplace poker. Um, so when we get to the end reveal and we learn that Jason and Stuart have killed him, Mm -hmm. um, for being, for like being antsy and, and thinking that like, he's going to spill the tea, you know, he's going to tell somebody what we're doing. So they kill him. They don't shoot him. They don't strike. I mean, like, they hit him over the head with a fireplace poker, mm. which just is an incredibly violent, like, directly, yeah. like, hands dirty kind of killing. Um, I didn't even think about that, because obviously they have the gun already. Right. Yeah. Jason has a gun. Um, and so it's just, it. it's just like, why? I don't know. When you think of, like, psychology of people who kill people. Mm-hmm. More often than not, if you have a way to do it where you can feel more distance from the act, you're going to do that. So, yeah. like, if you have a gun, you're going to shoot them because right. pulling the trigger on a gun feels less uh, like you're responsible for less because it's a smaller action than having to pick up a heavy fireplace poker and whack someone over mm-hmm. the head with it. Like, that's that's an intense. So it just doesn't – it didn't really track for me. As to, like, why would you do that if really the reason is that he's just getting, you know, antsy Nancy. and you're worried about him telling someone? Maybe he's like worried that, about him stealing Chloe from him. You know? It just felt like there was a lot of anger and violence in that yeah. act. And, I mean, I think we could definitely see that in Jason as, like, he having the ability to do that and get violent because all the nasty things he said. Um, but I wish that we had gotten more of that 
like yeah. more of that justification. Um, I, I wish that like in the relationship dynamics with Chloe, that maybe that came into play a little bit more. Um, and I wish that maybe at the end, Chloe was at risk somehow when we were rescuing Chloe That'd be interesting. Um, instead of rescuing George um, from Jason. And I, I wish, because I, I think that in order to pull off the murder of Marco, which felt really out of left field to me, yeah, like I was not expecting that at all. Um, I was expecting like Marco to jump us or like him to be gone or somebody else to be there, but I wasn't expecting Marco to be dead at the cabin. Um, I was like, Oh, someone's dead. Wow. That's a yeah. big, that's a big change. And so I just feel like if we had, if we could like heighten Jason's aggression and his yeah. violence earlier, sooner between him and Chloe, like some intimate partner violence or something that maybe that that would have one raised the stakes from the beginning and two justified the murder of Marco a little bit. Maybe we could have found like some damaged equipment or something and not known who it was right. until later we find out Jason got angry with Chloe or something and started or smashing Chloe, her like, stuff. Or Chloe like tearfully confesses or she's talking to Marco and Marco's trying to like rescue her from this abusive mm-hmm. relationship and there's just like a lot more dynamics at play there. That I think that would have been That yeah. would have made it better. But... Hmm. Oh. Okay, yeah, I kind of want to talk about the scene where they're paying the check at the restaurant because that was really weird, too. Oh, yeah. Um, They, like, made a point to, like, I don't know, just, like, it was just so awkward, like, the way that they talked about them all paying their bills. And I want to talk about that because, let's see. Um, The waitress arrived with the bill and diplomatically placed it in the middle of the table. Each of the men reached for his wallet Each woman gathered her handbag. Chloe placed her purse in Jason's hands, asking him to pay for her while she visited the ladies' room. Somehow, the mood was tense. Jason quickly calculated the amount each person owed. He drew two fives from his wallet. As he placed them on the table, he grinned, joking, gee, I sure hope none of this is counterfeit. Nancy chuckled politely with the others. That is weird. Why would it be tense like that? (laughs) I mean, I, I don't know. I, this Because this felt like something, they were really trying to communicate something here because they were very specifically talking about this scene. So mm-hmm. it is clearly very important. Um, and so I, I'm wondering if there is some like 90s era stuff in here that I'm just not fully understanding. I don't know um, about that. Well, I think maybe like an awkwardness about like who's picking up the check when you're out with friends. Like, oh, like, um, are the men paying kind of a thing. Um, yeah, it seems like they were all okay to pay for themselves, but they all, they all yeah. grab their purses or whatever. I don't know. So I didn't think that was it. And then I was like, well, maybe it's like the counterfeiting thing, but I don't, but it, I don't know. It didn't see, it didn't seem like it. It seemed like everybody was tense about paying for some other reason. Was there a Jason Marco bit right before that? Yes. Maybe they were tense about the awkwardness of them being weird with well, it. Well, they had like moved on from it. So like Oh, maybe not. Marco, yeah, Jason or Jason said something about how quickly Marco learned to speak English. And oh. like which also we should talk about that too. Yeah, I remember that. That was bizarre. <laughs> there's definitely a lot of racism towards yeah. Marco. Um 
because he's Italian. Right. Weird. Um, Especially for the nineties. That's very weird. Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) Um, But he, he says you should see, you should have seen this guy when he first came to this country, he was only 15 and could hardly speak English. And, and then Chloe says, yeah, isn't it amazing how fast he learned? Um, Just trying to like, it's a little patronizing, but okay. Right. Um, And then Marco looked up from his food. He cleared his throat, but he remained silent and then Jason breaks the tension. How would you all like to come to the Cartoonist Society dinner on Wednesday night? Oh, hey, they oh, did they mention, did mention it, it Okay, I didn't Duh. realize that either. Um, I reserved a whole table. What do you say? Sounds like fun. What's the dress code? George groans when Jason says black tie. And Nancy says she's happy wearing cleats and sweats. And everyone laughs. Oh, no, I do remember that. Okay, I do remember that. So I don't think it's about Marco. It's about Peggy. Yeah, that's awkward. Uh-huh. Interesting to put it in there and then to not really revisit it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe you're right. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's something here, some subtext that we're just not getting. I think, I mean, I think maybe it has something to do with the fact that, like, J- Jason calculated the amount each person owed. That feels like a pretty standard thing to do, though, is you yeah. get the bill and then somebody calculates it all up and mm-hmm. then you all pile your cash together mm-hmm okay i don't know that's I don't know. weird it's really weird um and then, but that because then he goes to like break the tension by making a joke like oh, gee, i hope none of this is counterfeit you know like okay. hmm. but like although why? it might have been <laughs> that's true yeah maybe maybe it's just tension maybe they're just tense because they know that nancy's investigating counterfeiting mm-hmm. maybe which that's just it. i guess it's fair would explain why yeah but anyway, it was just really weird, a weird scene. And I wish that, like, Nancy had remarked, like, oh, like, maybe she's, like, watching everybody. Yeah. You know, or, like, looking at the bills that they put on the table and trying to glance at them without. Help them <laughs> noticing, know? yeah. Right. That would, I think that would make more sense. But those, the, the way that they set that up and then they just, like, left it, it was yeah. very bizarre to me. Um, there was something else I was going to talk about. Pamela. We didn't mention. Oh, yeah. Turns out Pamela wasn't, <laughs> she wasn't involved in the counterfeiting at all. She was just deeply in debt. Yeah. Just um, has a from, shopping I guess, problem. Her, yeah. Her shopping, her shopping habits. But, and she just didn't want Nancy to find out about it for some reason. I guess right. thinking that it would like jeopardize her job somehow. Okay. Um, so that's why. Yeah. We also never um, like followed up with Celeste at all, especially about the, like the no. 10K check thing. Like we, we could have just gone and asked her rather than relying on the word of our suspects, but nope, nothing. Yeah, it didn't really, I mean, they're like going into business together, didn't really impact anything at all. Like, a business like, for what? They were gonna, I don't know, but they were talking about how Jason would write and Stuart would print and, uh, uh Celeste was get, keeping them all organized and okay. Chloe would illustrate. I think they were like, maybe like children's books or something like that. Oh, okay. Um, some, yeah, some publication or something that they were going to start making together. But, and then Marco would do their graphic design. Seems weird for them to have two, two things going on like that at once. I don't know. We're starting up a business, but also we have this secret counterfeiting thing that half of y'all don't know about. There are a lot of businesses because there's like River Heights magazine where Celeste, Pamela, 
Jason and Jason work. Mm-hmm. Chloe does their the il- illustrate an illustration for like a comic strip for mm-hmm. River Heights magazine. Stuart prints River Heights magazine. But then also Stuart runs Perfect Printing. Then also they all want to go into business together outside of River Heights magazine to do whatever it is mm-hmm. that they're going to be making. And then there's also the counterfeiting operation between Stuart and Jason. And Marco. Oh, and Marco. Right. Yeah. Huh. So like they're in business together of- like three ways. <laughs> they yeah. all just really like each other. They hate each other a lot for how many businesses they're in together. They're just in it for the grind and for the hustle. Like y'all don't have to stay <laughs> friends with the people you went to school with forever. Like you, you yeah. can just, you don't have to work with that. I don't know. That's weird. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I don't have a lot more to say, but did you want to talk about the police? Oh, yeah. There's not really a ton. It's just, let me see. There's one one bit that stood out to me here. I wrote down a page number. So this is when they are, um, Nancy and George are touring Perfect Printing with Stuart, and then they go outside on the loading dock, and then someone throws the crate at her. Mm -hmm. Um, And so Nancy said, or it says, Nancy asked Stuart not to call the police. She could explain to the chief what she felt he had the need to know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like Chief McGinnis informally allowed you to do some investigating, and now you're cutting him out of this. Like, it's yeah. just, <laughs> I, yeah. I know that we have many other instances of Nancy, like, deciding, like, what she should and should not go to the police with, but I just thought it was mm-hmm. very interesting that that was her attitude this whole time. Yeah, no, it's weird. I mean, I think, yeah, obviously, Nancy's relationship with the police is something that is, is a big, is a big part of the Nancy Drew history, right? Like thinking about like mm-hmm. the 30s, you know, and how her relationship with the police was much different than it was in like the revised texts, right? Um, and how it was very much more like getting along with the law as opposed to like operating against the law and working outside of it. Right. Um, but yeah, but it seems to be that where we end up sometimes is that we get both somehow with nancy like doing like sanctioned detective work but at the same time not like reporting things to the police which is weird Mm -hmm. yeah it's weird it's like a weird um what's the word i'm looking for like it's like having your cake and eating it too it's like like you can't (laughs) can't do both well, and the way this one starts, it felt very Alibi and Ashes because we're just in the mm-hmm. mall. And then like mm-hmm. by page two, we've already been discovered with the counterfeit money. And then we're all hauled down to the police station. Nancy has to comment on like the Christmas decorations at the station. And then they have to give interviews to all these officers. And then McGinnis shows up and is like, oh, you girls are here. Pulls them into his office mm-hmm. and is like, oh, yeah, I see what's going on. I know I know that you guys right. are innocent, so I'm going to let you go. And it's like, well, you're just using your position nancy as yeah like there's no like if it was any other random person he probably wouldn't have let them go and then nancy just would have at least looked into it a little bit exactly yeah but this is just like there's no even scrutiny which we all understand why that's fine whatever i don't really Mm -hmm. care about that Mm -hmm. but then the rest of it is just nancy deciding what he has the right to know and then his part of this is just like updating the secret service and then doing like the Mm -hmm. logistical things for the arrests okay which time out the Secret Service is who is responsible for currency printing in the yes. U.S.? Well, currency fraud. I yeah. had no idea. That's so weird. Not mm-hmm. the FBI. 
No, it's I think the Secret Service. I think so. Yeah, I think that part is is real, legitimate. Yeah. I mean, it it sounded correct. Like I yeah. can't imagine they would have just made. That. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I didn't know that. That's wild. I think any finance, like currency related crimes, have to be reported to the Secret Service. Maybe also mm. the FBI, but I think definitely the Secret Service. I don't know. Mm. No, I mean, yeah, I I totally agree. Yeah, the the relationship that Nancy has in these later books with the police is very convoluted. Mm. It's very interesting. It's almost like the police don't even need to exist. Right. Well, yeah, especially after that start, I thought they'd be more heavily involved, but then right. it's just like, eh, I'll tell him to get us later. I'll update him what he yeah. needs to know. Oh, wow. It's All just right. very much that like Nancy operates in like this, this vacuum, like mm-hmm. fantasy world, because even at the end, like uh, in a lot of like the mystery stories at the end of them, we get, you know, we call the police, the police come and they haul the bad guys away mm-hmm. and they, that's when the bad guys give their confession, right? In front of the police so that the police can hear it, right? And they can be convicted. But we don't even get those scenes a lot of the times in the files. It's just like, we confront the bad guys. We have the situation under control. And that's the end. They barely had this situation under control, to be honest, with that gun get bitten and waved around. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, anything could have happened. But no, we know that Nancy's got it. And we presume... She doesn't even say that she's calling the cops. We just assume that she is. And going to call the authorities and and have them arrested. Well, and when they find Marco's body, that's interesting as well, because she Mm -hmm. has to put the snowshoes back on, trudge back to, like, the main office and ask to use their phone. And she's, like, telling herself, like, yeah, I need to call George because I know as soon as I call George, she'll have, like, everybody that needs to be here here. And then she decides after that, like, actually, no, I should just call McGinnis first real quick. Or, no, she calls the local police. Yeah, she calls the local police and she tells them, like, hey, if you have any questions about me or, like, what I'm doing here, call Chief McGinnis. Call McGinnis. And then McGinnis gets roped into it so i just thought that was interesting if that wasn't even her first impulse if we just found a dead body (laughs) let me call george before i call 911 and then like i think that whole thing how that played out was a little unrealistic as well because i don't think in real life there's any way that nancy wouldn't have been required to stay at the scene until the cops had at least gotten her statement and answer questions exactly she just darts off she's just like hey front desk guy um the cops are coming anyway gotta go bye right and then just leaves yeah it's crazy Mm mm-hmm definitely wow yeah. anyway <laughs> it's interesting it's interesting i think i mean like i i understand i 100 percent understand that these books are not depictions of real life of course no, they're not no like, and we wouldn't Nancy, want them to be no we wouldn't want them to be right but i think that there's such a missed opportunity when it comes to putting in real stuff like that like mm-hmm. nancy interacting with the police because i think it just leaves a lot to be desired and i think when when you end up with books like this it just it seems so simple and like so just like uninteresting but if Mm -hmm. like you had the police in there it introduces an an element of severity of like of of heightened stakes Mm -hmm. right like imagine if we had started off the book and best dutch best gets arrested like Bess is mm-hmm. in jail for having these counterfeit or or at least slapped with like some kind of heavy fine and has a court date or something. That would and have been Nancy, way more interesting if Bess is in jail rather than California yes, for the whole book. Yes. <laughs> and Nancy has to investigate to get Bess out of jail. And even if Chief McGinnis does know that she's not responsible, his hands are tied because of the evidence and like 
you know, the DA really wants to convict someone because this counterfeit operation is really heating up. And he's like, and I can't tell you that you can investigate because that would be, you know, wrong on my part because Mm -hmm. I have to maintain like a neutrality. But Nancy, if you want to help out your friend, this is what you could do, you know, kind of a thing. Like that would be so much more interesting. Mm -hmm. Raise the stakes so much more. And then constantly having Nancy to keep information from the police for a legitimate reason Mm -hmm. because she knows that if the police get that information before she does, they could use it against Beth somehow or, or towards her conviction, which she's trying to work against, right? So much more opportunity for, like, good storytelling, right. <laughs> you know? I just, yeah. So, yeah. Well. And then I needed the end to finally have our, like, Drew family Christmas. Yeah. I needed the scene at the end where Bess and George and Nancy are all exchanging gifts and Carson mm-hmm. and Hannah are there. Hannah's not even in this one because she's, like, no. out of town visiting family or whatever. Yeah. She's. She's not there for some reason. But Bess is, Bess is off the hook. She's very grateful to Nancy. Yeah. She gets Nancy a super sweet, thoughtful present. Um, and it's about their relationship as friends. Yeah. Yeah. That would yeah. have been so much nicer. Mm-hmm. Mm. And how nice it is when your friends have your back and spending the holidays together. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I have said that for pretty much every <laughs> Christmas episode we've said so far. How would this compare... For you, against the other two Christmas books we've done, Nancy Drew Christmas with the Diaries, and then question. what was the other one? Nutcracker Ballet Christmas. It definitely ranks the lowest for me. Same here. I I think I have to, I think I, even though, I think, okay, we'll gather my thoughts. Okay. Too much to say already. That was such a good question. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I would rank Nancy Drew Christmas the highest. You think so? Okay. I think so. I think... Mm, no, this I is really so like the the Nutcracker Ballet Christmas. That might still be number one for me of the Christmas the books. The Nutcracker Ballet Christmas, or is it the Nutcracker Ballet Mystery, or something? I don't remember what. It, is it Christmas? Is it Christmas in the title? Oh no, it might be Mystery. Whatever, you know what I'm talking Whatever. about. <laughs> that one, that book is such a good, well-contained, well-structured story, um, and I think it has a lot of like just enough holiday vibes to make it a Christmassy book that you'd want to read without being like, it's about Christmas. It's not about the mystery, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I love it for that. But I think the Nancy Drew, a Nancy Drew Christmas, I I do think it was too long. Yeah. And the story kind of dragged out a little bit, but I think ultimately the mystery was more interesting in that book. The setting was more fun too. The setting's more fun um, it has more of like the, like we're snowed in at an inn. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like there's just something so classic about that. Um, also Frank and Joe are in it. And, How do you outdo that? <laughs> and I feel like there were so many more comedy elements in that book. Like things that were just so funny, like things that Frank and Joe would say, or like the Christmas elf, like just so many oh, jokes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So many jokes in that book that none of the rest of the Nancy Drew Christmas books really have. Like, they take themselves way too seriously. Um, so even though I think, I think structurally, like, and as, like, a, as, a, as a book, the Nutcracker Ballet one is better. It's a better mm-hmm. book. I think a Nancy Drew Christmas is more enjoyable. That's fair. Oh, they're and both so one, good, though. And this one ranks last. 
Yeah. How, how, however exciting. you place the, the other two, this is definitely yeah. third place. No problem. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Oh, well. That's okay. You know why? Because it's Christmas time. It's the holidays. And we had a nice... We had a nice little time chatting about it. Yeah. It's still Nancy Drew. It's still good. It's still Nancy Drew. Yeah. Um, but the holidays aren't over. Well, I guess we need to give flashlights. Yeah. Let's give a flashlight score it? first. Uh, two. I was going to say two as well. I don't two, feel like a like, low two. Yeah. I don't feel like a one and a half is enough. No. But it's because it wasn't horrible. It wasn't. No. It wasn't like a girl detective, but it was still just. Right. It wasn't great. No, no. Yeah, I think it wasn't exciting. I wasn't interested in in reading it. Didn't really have anything compelling, but it did. I mean, like, how do what do I say good about this book? Um, it had. It, I think no. I think that the the setting was a good attempt. Yeah. At, um. At you know, the, with the snow and the cold weather, they talk about that a lot. I think that was a valiant effort. I appreciate the trope of Nancy being interested in uh, the culprit. Um, I appreciate that um, because I think that lends an air of, you know, uh, it's just a trope that I really enjoy. Yeah. And uh, uh, Nancy having to like second guess herself and her, um, her feelings. Right. Yeah. Um, and and their correctness her morality right love that uh but other than that yeah no not great. speaking of tropes she did not slip on the ice and break her leg in this one True. although didn't she slip on the ice and break her wrist oh she really hurt herself I she think might have just was, sprained it i think it was when she fell from the loading dock i don't think yeah. she slipped but it oh, would have been okay. nice to have a patch of ice there and that's mm-hmm. why she slipped and yeah. fell when someone threw it at her. That Nancy, Nancy, nice. Nancy, you have to watch all of your bones when it's a Christmas book because <laughs> you just seem to run into more trouble when there's ice around. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, oh God, I love, okay. I love Nancy Drew. I love the Nancy Drew books. They don't do enough in my opinion to raise the stakes ever. Yeah. They want to keep their heroines so safe. And I'm like, arrest Bess, arrest her. Yeah. On top of that, make Nancy break her wrist and have to rely on George. Like, mm. that would have been so good because then it would have been like Nancy doing this for best and then George doing that for Nancy. And, you know, like, oh, it would have yeah. been just like such, it could have been so sweet, but then also like, it makes things hard and mm-hmm. challenging. Make it, make it, make it harder for Nancy. Make things more challenging for her. Make her have more to overcome because then we know, we can see, the reader sees, oh, Nancy is so capable. That's someone I really want to be like. Look at her persevere yeah. through all of this. You Not know? just digging through the trash and calling that your investigation. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Anyway. So, too. But like I said, the holidays aren't over. Yes. So we have another book coming up. And I'm very, very excited about this one, Corey. Yes. Have, you, have you started it yet? I have not. Have you? No, I have not. Okay, so it's just going to be fresh for both of us when we talk about it next week or next time. Um, and that is because, you know, it's going to be episode, what, 75? 75, yeah. 75. So, you know, we like to do something a little bit special on every fifth episode. Um, and we've been doing the files, and we love the files. Uh, but what we love even more... <laughs> 
is a Nancy Drew and Hardy Boys super mystery. And so next we are going to be covering uh, New Year's Evil. <laughs> I'm so excited. Look at the cover. I mean, how do you not want to start reading it just from looking at that? There are, okay, first of all, the model for Nancy Drew on this cover is giving the most. Yeah. <laughs> she earned her paycheck for this one, for sure. Goodness. I have never seen such a, a look on the face. She's like giving like this gasp, clutching her chest. Amazing. While I'm guessing that's Joe um, is like wrestling with a masked man above her on like some kind of cliff. And behind them, there's like some kind of like castle situation and there are planes in the sky oh my god <laughs> oh from the okay. back of it looks like maybe this is like a ski yeah let's situation let's the they're back. on a ski slope here okay let's read the back so america's hottest teen detectives team up to quell a crime wave in quebec Ah, <laughs> Nancy Nancy Drew heads for Quebec City to investigate sabotage on the set of the romantic TV thriller Dangerous Loves. Ooh. But the action behind the scenes is far more chilling than anything on camera. Somebody is secretly determined to turn the film into a flop. The movie's title adds an ominous twist to the case when Bess falls for its very attractive star, one of Nancy's prime suspects. Yes. Meanwhile, Frank and Joe Hardy are also in Quebec for the Winter Carnival Spectacular Auto Ice Racing event, but they soon find themselves in a race of their own to catch a murderer. Racing champion Andre Junot has turned up dead. At the same time, a photographer from the movie set has turned up missing. Mm. Nancy, Frank, and Joe form a single resolution. Infiltrate the criminal conspiracy in New Year's Evil. Oh, what a so good New Year's exciting. resolution, Nancy. Your resolution Seriously. should always be to team up with the Hardy Boys. Come on. A hundred percent. And this one is also coming out um, in the very first of the year. This is coming out on January 5th. Yep. So right after New Year's. So very appropriate. We couldn't have timed it any better if we tried. Um, so yeah, I'm very excited. Me too. Very, very excited. Sorry. Okay. Now I've opened the book and I've started reading it. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Put it down. Putting it down. It Putting begins. it down. But I'm very excited. And so, yes, we hope you'll tune in next time when we cover that. Yep. See you then. Thank you for listening to Regular Nancy Drew. Email us at regularnancydrew at gmail.com. If you like this episode, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also follow us on Instagram at regularnancydrew and Twitter at regularnd. You can also support us on Patreon. Patrons at the $3 level vote on upcoming episode topics and get exclusive access to our Scoop Sesh series. And all patrons receive early access to each episode as well as weekly bonus content. And to all you regular Drews out there, thanks, thanks for, for listening. listening.